Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The Hillman Morning Show On Demand. Podcasts and more are always online and on your schedule at WAAF.com. Congratulations. Sincere congratulations to David, who won the Bruins tickets for tonight that we gave away during the 7 o'clock hour this morning. If you're friends with David, immediately send him a text and (laughs) say, take me. Exactly. Take me to the game tonight. Have a great seat, too, man. <laughs> Top yeah. of the lower bowl. Oh, absolutely. Good yeah. good stuff. And we're auctioning off a pair of tickets. And uh, those are going to benefit the Greg Hill Foundation. So you have about uh, 56 minutes left. It is 9.04. So you have 56 minutes to bid on the tickets that I am auctioning off for the Greg Hill Foundation this morning. Those tickets are Loge 7 row 25 and you're making a donation to the foundation if you end up getting those two tickets the high bid is eighteen hundred dollars right now and this is james hello james how are you doing today what's up james what's up hey what, just, what can, what i'll f- go the 1900 and i want a phone call back if somebody beats me oh Wow. I like it. I like oh. the attitude, kid. Yeah, all right. Get aggressive. All right. 1900 would be your bid, and we will call you back. All right. Hang on for a moment. 1900 that is now the high bid on those Bruins tickets for tonight. Today's weather brought to you by findmassmoney.com. It's going to be cloudy, and there's going to be some rain around here and there. Temperature will be 75 for a high. Right now it is 69 here in beautiful, safe Brighton, Massachusetts. You may have money waiting to be claimed at findmassmoney.com. Go to findmassmoney.com and plug in your name and hometown and find out instantly if you're on the list. Findmassmoney.com, fast, easy, and free. So uh, as soon as I started talking on this show about the HBO series Chernobyl, um, many of you were texting in and suggesting that I had to read Midnight in Chernobyl, the untold story of the world's greatest nuclear disaster. It's written by Andrew Higginbottom, and he's going to join us in in a second here. And um, I I will say this. I'm uh, really excited because I want to confirm a lot of what I saw uh, during the series. Um, She was asking me the other day, he's like, should we get this guy on? And I was like, yes, because I want him to tell me exactly what was accurate and what was not accurate yeah. in the in the Because the, the story is yes. so amazing. Oh, but it's, 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 it's yeah. absolutely amazing. And Andrew is joining us right now. Hey, Andrew. Adam. It's Adam. Oh, yeah. what did I say? It's Andrew, Adam. I'm sorry. I, 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 my sincere apologies. Adam, <laughs> uh, Adam, thank you for coming on. Um, the uh, Did you, I assume you watched. I did. I did watch it. Yeah. Um, and were you as um, maybe you're not? You were not as uh, amazed as we were uh, because of all the research you did for the book. But um, uh, to me, it was just extraordinary television. Yeah, it's kind of. I mean, what I found extraordinary was the the, the kind of the way that they'd recreated, you know, the scenes and the, like the production design, the cars, people's clothes, 
all of that stuff seemed just amazingly convincing. Um, how accurate, when, you know, when you when you, like, you talk about the kind of the trial scene uh, in the in, in in the finale, and this will be a spoiler here, obviously, but <laughs> um, you know, how accurate is it if you look at that guy? Uh, you know, the guy who essentially was uh, in charge of the test, the safety test that evening. Uh, how accurate is it to place a good part of the blame on him? Well, I think what you've got to bear in mind about this show is it's really gripping and it's great TV, but it's not a documentary. Um, you know, similarly, like Saving Private Ryan is an incredibly gripping, uh, you know, troubling movie to watch, but it's not a documentary about D-Day. So this is like a... This is a, a dramatization of some things that happened, and a lot of it is, is kind of made up. Um, and the depiction of the guy that you were talking about, Anatoly Dyatlov, is like sort of broadly accurate, um, you know, based on, I think, the material that they use to research the show. But I, I talked to a lot of people that work with him. Um, and, you know, some people, their opinion of him was that he was this sort of Martinet, you know, Captain Bly figure. But... He was obviously, because nobody's that, you know, black and white, nobody's that simplistic uh, in real life. And he was much more complex than that. Um, and he was actually a really high, highly qualified nuclear specialist. They kind of give you the impression in the show that he doesn't really know what he's doing. He's just going to sort of bulldoze his way through any opposition from his, from his underlings. But he, he wasn't really like that. Um, and to the extent that he was like solely to blame for what happened, I, you know, I don't think that's true at all. I mean, the, the system, I mean, as I suggest in the show, it's, it's really the system that ultimately paved the path towards the disaster. And, and if it wasn't the Atloff, it could have been somebody else in his position. Staying with the Atloff for a minute. So you're telling me he didn't walk in there and throw the manual at the guy in the control <laughs> room when he said he didn't know what to do? Because I found that to be just um, incredible in the truest sense of the word, that the guy says, I don't know what I'm doing, and just throwing the manual, we're dealing with a nuclear power plant here. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's, that's totally fictitious. Oh. Yeah. No, no, it's, all of it was that effective, stuff, the though. screaming, the throwing things around. I mean, you know, it, I mean, there, I've, because I've read the trial, the actual trial transcripts of the actual trial, where all of the people that worked in that control room and were there that night, you know, were cross-examined in detail. And it was just not that, you know... The atmosphere was tense, um, but you know I, I spoke to people who were there, and there was no <laughs> there was no mention of any throwing around of manuals. I mean, the, the kind of you know the Captain Queeg behavior is is not really that's not really true to life. The um, the character uh, Legasov uh, Legasov yeah. is that's based on uh, on a, on a real person. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I'm curious uh, afterwards what ended up being his fate because you know, in the series, it, it seems like essentially his career as a nuclear scientist is going to be ruined by the Russian government. I mean, is that what ended up being his fate? Well, he. I mean, again, the thing is that you know he's kind of depicted as this sort of valiant martyr who you know sacrifices his career by speaking truth to power. Uh, you know, by delivering this, this speech at the trial. But, the, but, you know, the reality is that he wasn't at the trial. There was no such speech. Really? Uh, no, I mean, none of the, all of the, I mean, everything that you see taking place in that courtroom 
in the la- last episode of the show, like that sprung entirely from the imagination of, of, of Craig oh. Mazin, the, the writer. I mean, that's yeah. just a dramatization. You're, you're I mean, ruining my shoe right oh, now. Wait. Well, let me, let's just get right to this. Were those miners really naked then? <laughs> what do you think? I, I want it to be true. <laughs> of, of course you do. I'd love it to be true. I mean, you know, and, and to be perfectly honest, I mean, I, I talked to people who, who were working in those tunnels during that time with the miners. And um, and none of them, none of them. I didn't ask them whether all the miners there were working naked, except for their shoes and hats. But but equally, none of the people I spoke to mentioned it. And yeah. and they mentioned lots of other crazy things that happened. And I would have thought. I mean, I don't know what you think, but I would have thought that had four hundred burly men have spent day and night working naked, except for shoes and hats, in a high radiation zone. Somebody who else who was there who I spoke to might have mentioned that. <laughs> what about the, the the story of the three divers who who chose to to go in? I mean that that is that's that's valid, correct? Look, I don't want to. <laughs> I, I don't want to come in here and spoil all of this for you. <laughs> no, that that's what you're doing. But yes, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, three guys did go in just like that, and they did. They, they did have to open those taps. But there was not like a sort of I'm Spartacus-style scene where, you know, three men stand up from a, from a room full of other possible volunteers. That didn't... It, it wasn't like that. It didn't happen. No, because, yeah. they were, because they were three guys who worked at the plant, and they were on the shift. It was their, their time to work yeah. at the time when that operation began. So the the one guy who was leading the operation, who, who actually led them into the the tunnels in the basement, you know, he just got a phone call and they said, so we, we you know, you've got to, we want you to go and open, you know, tap TG four uh, down at, at level one in the in the basement. Um, you know, get a team together and go and do it. There was no like, there was no, you're going to pay us a bonus for this. It's deadly. It's yeah. But what they, you know, but the fact is that the truth is actually more terrifying because what that, that scene and that depiction in, in the show misses out is that before those guys could go into the tunnel, the tunnel was actually flooded several, you know, it, it was flooded to shoulder height with highly radioactive water. Mm. They accurately depict the fact that they were wading through ankle deep water. But a load of guys had to go in and pump those tunnels out of the radioactive water before oh. they could get in there. And that took three days. Oh. Wow. Um, what about a texter would like to know about the bridge of death and and uh, if it is indeed accurate that those people who went out to watch that night, uh, all of them ended up passing away. No, that's not true either, okay. I'm afraid. Wow. <laughs> Boy, uh, it's uh, pretty solemn in the studio right now. <laughs> really We've got a couple of TV guys here. <laughs> look, look, I'm sorry, you know, it's it's... It, like I say, it's you know, think of, of, of Saving Private Ryan. It's a great movie. Just just don't just don't try and pick it apart. It's not this isn't a documentary. It's yeah, a, it's right. a drama series. No, I mean no the bridge of I mean the bridge of death has been written about in in several kind of ostensible non fiction uh, recountings of the disaster, you know, that were written in the early nineties. And it, they continue to be that continues to be repeated today. But you know, I talked to a lot of people who lived in Pripyat. By and large, the citizens of Pripyat were asleep when this was happening. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you think about it in, in terms of 
what would happen in real life. If you knew that you lived near a nuclear plant and there was a big fire and a big bang at night, would you go out with your kids in a stroller <laughs> and just spend yeah. like four, I know, four or five hours standing there watching it burn? Is that what you would do? This is basically, this is my life in a nutshell because I watch everything on TV and I think it's real. Right. And uh, even the fiction stuff, and Adam is now informing me that, unfortunately, I wasted a lot of time, well, I, but, but it was great television. I, it, I was, wanna... it was great television, yeah. Yeah. but the bridge of death, I'm afraid. I mean, I did, you know, I spoke to one guy who's now uh, in his 40s, I guess, but he was, um, you know, he was eight or nine at the time of the accident. And in the morning, after all the kids had been sent home from school, uh, he got on his bike and he rode over to the bridge of death um and and watched what was going on from a distance because he was curious but you know i was having a conversation with this guy in 2016 and he seemed pretty healthy to me he was certainly not dead yeah all right i want to ask about something that i hope isn't true and that is the soldiers shooting the dogs well, that is true. I'm not sure oh. the soldiers did it, but yeah. because uh, what I found in my research was the truth was actually worse, which was the Ukrainian authorities, because they were concerned about um, not only uh, the spread of radiation on the fur of these animals, but also of, of rabies. Um, they did order an operation that went on for quite a long time, but what they did is they, they approached the, well, it was the Soviet Union, they didn't approach. They instructed members of uh, the Ukrainian Society of Hunters and Fishermen to gather their weapons and uh, go into the exclusion zone. And, and they did indeed do that. They, they killed domestic pets, but they also killed you know, domestic animals. So there were goats and cows and things left behind. Um, and so they did move through the exclusion zone, and that's exactly what they did. On the other hand... Um, you know, they, they couldn't, it wasn't possible for them to hunt down and kill all of these animals. And, and a lot of the, the animals that were left behind were actually adopted by troops who were stationed in the zone as part of the cleanup. Um, and they, they fed them and, and kind of gave them new, they gave them new names. They gave them names like Ronchen and Gamma and uh, Dosimeter and stuff. Huh. We're talking with the author of Midnight in Chernobyl, Adam Higginbottom, or as I call him, Alan. Or Andrew. And we're we're trying to get to the bottom of some of this uh, stuff about Chernobyl, the HBO miniseries. And, um, you know, at the end, um, they throw a stat up there that, you know, somewhere between 4,000 and 90 some odd thousand people died as a result of what happened. What What is your estimation on the actual number? Well, the truth is, I think, as it, as it probably says also at the end of the show, is, is that we won't really know, we can't know, because partly because the Soviet government deliberately concealed a lot of information about the health effects mm -hmm. um, from the very beginning, but also because the epidemiology of this is so complicated that it's, it's really hard to do anything other than make an estimate. And what you've got to bear in mind is that you're talking about a population of around 5 million people living in the worst affected areas of Ukraine, of Belarus, and, and then the Russian Republic. Um, and the, certainly the most, the most solid estimates uh, of the number of extra deaths from cancer, additional deaths on top of the background rate of cancer that would normally occur, 
are about is about five thousand. Mm. So that's five thousand people. I mean, that, that's that obviously is terrible. You don't want one additional person to die. But that's five thousand people out of a population of five million. So you can see that the scope for error in these in these figures is is obviously enormous. Are there people who are living now in the exclusion zone, or or are they not allowed to? Well, they they haven't technically been allowed to since 1986, but um, there are some people, um, I think scores or dozens of people now, you know, they either stayed behind by by evading the authorities to begin with, or they kind of crept back afterwards. And now they're mostly old people who've who've lived in these sort of small uh, rural villages for for their entire lives. And, and, you know, in many cases, their ancestors, their grandfathers, their grandparents, um, their great-grandparents have lived there. Um, so they didn't. They just didn't want to leave, and they um, they still live there now. And they kind of grow their own vegetables, and, oh, and the authorities that... kind of tolerate their presence. Wow, I don't know if I'd want to eat anything grown in that area. I mean, veggies no. are huge. <laughs> but you have to think about it. You know, it's not like they have. What do they do? Go to the bank, get a, a yeah, mortgage, buy else? a new yeah. house. Yeah, I mean, you go? know, yeah. they have nowhere yeah. to go. Yeah. I, I'm wondering if you have any insight on a curious decision that, or even if it's true at this point, that one of the three uh, people who were in charge of the plant, I think it was Nikolai Foman, is that? Yeah. Okay. At the end, they say he did his 10 years, I think it was hard labor. Hard labor. And then he got back into the nuclear energy business. <laughs> it's curious to me why they would allow him near a nuclear power plant after the worst nuclear disaster in history. Yeah, he went back to work at the Kalinin uh, nuclear plant um, outside Moscow. Um, well, you know, uh, the, the thing is, the ironic thing here is that... that um, a lot of the people who who were involved in the disaster went back to work in the nuclear field afterwards. Um, I mean, apart from anything else, because now, if you think about it, they had this extraordinary experience in 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 working with nuclear energy that that many people, you know, other elsewhere on Earth did not have. You know, they coped with the worst nuclear disaster in history, and now they were super qualified to make sure this didn't happen again. For me, I, I mean, I, I can't, I'm not really sure exactly what happened there. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, because he did have a complete nervous breakdown. I don't think they actually mentioned this in the show. But before the trial began, he attempted to, to commit suicide by slashing his wrists um, with the broken fragments of his spectacles. Um, and they had to delay the trial partly as a result of that. They had to wait until he was well enough to go back on the stand. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the decision to, to let him go back to work in a plant, a nuclear plant, seems a little bit peculiar. But, uh, you know, a lot of the other guys were, were extremely well qualified. Adam, do you believe, as they, as they, uh, as they say in the show, that, the, that Chernobyl was the cause of the fall of the USSR? No, it's, it's I mean, it's, I mean, like, like a lot of the things in, in the show, it's kind of overstated for dramatic effect. It was a very significant turning point, and it had a colossal effect, most importantly, on the mindset of Mikhail Gorbachev, um, because he had announced these plans for Glasnost, for open government and perestroika, which was, was you know, economic reform, um, before the accident. But he hadn't really done anything about it, and he was having to move quite gingerly because he was surrounded by you know, these old apparatchiks who, who didn't really want a reformer in, in power. 
um, but after the accident happened, what, what happened when he we'd discovered exactly how corrupt even the nuclear state was, which was supposed to be this, you know, one of the most high-flying technological agencies of the, of the USSR, you know, he realized that he'd inherited this profoundly rotten system. And it persuaded him that, that he had to, to move quickly to change things. And he then plunged into these economic reforms quite recklessly and much too fast. And it was those economic reforms that were bungled that really unraveled the whole of the Soviet Union. So you can see that, that it, it, was a, an, it, was, it led towards the collapse of the Soviet Union, but there were many other things going on at the same time. Did Legasov leave the tapes behind? That the, I mean, did that actually happen? Yes, he did. I mean, it, they weren't dictated as some kind of midnight suicide note, which yeah. is what they're shown in, as in the show. Um, no, he was given a, a because he became very depressed after the accident, partly because his his he did lead this campaign to try and improve industrial and nuclear safety. Um, I mean, he didn't. There was no like deal with the KGB. All all of that stuff is made up. Yeah. Um, Darn it. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, but uh, but um, you know because Glasnost was going on at this time, so the very idea that somebody would be censured for speaking out and threatened with you know, a bullet in the back of the neck is, is sort of preposterous. Yeah. Because Soviet society and Soviet politics were, were evolving so quickly at this time. Um, but, you know, he, he did become, he became very depressed, and he was suffering from the effects of the radiation that he'd absorbed. And a friend of his gave him, a, a, like, a Japanese dictaphone, uh, and he used this to start recording what he planned at the time as his memoirs. So that's what the, the, the tapes were for. Um, and you can now read transcripts of them. A 774 texter would like to know about the decision to send the helicopter pilots to their death over the reactor, if that indeed did happen. Um. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> sorry, folks. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sorry about that. The, um, so I think that what they're talking about is is that you see this helicopter flying into this huge black cloud of smoke, and Legasov is standing on a nearby rooftop saying, no, don't, the radiation, don't stop them, you must stop them. And then it disappears into this black cloud and then falls out of the sky, right? That's what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that didn't happen. <laughs> there was no black smoke, uh, right. because, you know, certainly an enormous amount of, of radiation and radioactive vapor was being was ballooning out of the top of this this reactor at that time but it was it was almost invisible um it was like white smoke and yes helicopter pilots did fly over the uh, it, towards the plant and then directly over the reactor to to drop sand and things into the the open mouth of the reactor to try and put out this fire and to try and um bring down the the possibility of a meltdown um but they, none of them crashed into the reactor. It was not caused by radiation. The crash that's depicted, a crash like that took place, but in October, months and months and months later, long after the fire had been put out, long after this operation to bomb the reactor with sand and boron and lead and things had come to an end. And it was caused not by, you know, the mysterious forces of radiation, but because one of the tail rotors struck the, the cable from a crane nearby. Oh. And so it did indeed fall out of the sky, and the crew and everybody aboard was killed. But it did not happen in, in April uh, 1986. It happened in October. 
I feel like the last five weeks of my life has been a lie. Oh. <laughs> it was entertaining, though. It was. And by the way, several texters believe that you may work for the KGB. And, and, and hence. <laughs> and, uh, well, of course, I mean, I, I, I could deny it, but that would just convince them further, really. Right? <laughs> well, um, I must tell you that since I started talking about the HBO series, countless listeners have recommended your book which is called Midnight in Chernobyl. And if you want to get the real story, that's where, that's where you must go. So. Well, the real story is, is kind of worse and more unbelievable, just in different ways. Really? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, I thank you so much for joining us. And um, I think you're somebody that we, we might want to have on again. So I, I thank you for, for coming on with us this morning. No, no, thank you for having me. It's been great. Was there, was there just before we go, was there anything in the HBO series that actually happened? <laughs> Well, you know, there was this reactor and it exploded. And <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, one thing. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Thank you. All right. Adam Higginbottom, mm. Botten, Bottom, Bottom, uh, who has written the book Midnight in Chernobyl. He's awesome. I mean, <laughs> not a surprise, really. I mean, I they do no. dramatize things right. for television. They want it to be. But, they want it to be consumable. You know, to a, an audience that's not knowledgeable about it, I'm guessing a lot yeah. of people don't didn't know like us a lot of stuff about Chernobyl. Yes, so they make it easily digestible. But I mean, we know more about it now, though, which mm-hmm. is valuable, and we and we yeah. know more about the reaction, mm-hmm. which is just as incredible as the it's actual about ratings, accident. kid. Here's a seven seven four text that says, "What a fantastic interview!" Yeah, and that several was phenomenal. Uh, several people are saying, "Now I don't have to watch." Mm. Uh, well, you should no, still you watch. Should still, you watch. should still watch. It's sure. still a great. Yeah. It's a good series. Yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, you can't. It's it's the it's yeah. the most critically when it comes to critical ratings, it is the best critically rated show on HBO ever. That is more so than Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. more so than Breaking Bad. Um, it's uh, so yeah, but that's that, because Game of Thrones is real. Oh, it's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. There's probably yeah. more real stuff in Game right. of Thrones than in yeah. Chernobyl. Yeah. Uh, fun fact: the guy uh, Craig Mazin who created it and wrote wrote it also wrote The Hangovers two and three. Oh, really? <laughs> huh. Yes. Do you think um, several texters want to know? If based on Hollywood and the way in which they tend to lean politically, do you think they over dramatized it in order to be uh, anti nuke propaganda, hmm. or do you think it was just for the hashtag for the ratings? I don't think <laughs> I didn't get the anti nuclear, despite all the horrible things. I didn't get the anti nuclear vibe here. I what I got was the it was more about the reaction. Yeah, you know how the government reacted, how the bureaucracy reacted, yeah. and the in the incredibly stupid things that were done or said. To it was kind of like, oh well, we messed up this thing at work. Well, who's going to tell the boss? Right. Well, I don't want to tell the boss. Yeah. Right. But it's like, right. meanwhile, there's fifty thousand people's lives, right? You know, in danger. Uh, here's somebody who says, "I love that you TV dorks have had your dreams crushed." Yeah, well, that's the way it goes. I thought it was all real. Hey, I watched, it's I, a bad day. Uh, Shake it off. I mean, there's a new series. What's what's the new series, kid? What do you well, got going? You not next. You're gonna next. You're gonna tell me that nobody shot Jr. in the in the shower. 
It wasn't oh, yeah. in the shower. Bobby oh, was in the shower oh, when Pam woke shower. up after that okay. whole season that turned right, out to see. be a dream. So okay. you ruined it. Um, today's weather brought to you by Hint Water. It's going to be cloudy, some rain around. Temperature will be 75 for a high. Hint is pure still or sparkling water infused with a variety of fruit essences, including watermelon, blackberry, and cherry. No sugar, no sweeteners, no calories. Available in your local grocery store or at drinkhint.com. Hint, mouth-watering water. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Well, we got a lot to take care of business-wise here before the show ends. And some of it can be conducted by our vice president of social medias, Stanley Stiz Grimey. Yo. Yo. Copyright. Um, TM. Yo, TM. Yo, TM. Now, what are the, first of all, the results from Stanley's poll? So uh, Stanley's poll this morning is about a tweet from Bestie in which Tom Brady says that, uh, what's the exact quote on the tweet, please, Stan? Do you have it right in front of you? Yeah, I will Okay, one second. Uh, Sorry, girl. I have it. Treat my first like my last and my last like my first. Okay, so Bestie tweets yesterday, treat my first like my last and my last like my first. And everybody goes into a complete panic and thinks <laughs> uh, thinks that that means this is his last season. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so that was your question, Stanley's poll question this morning? That's right. We wanted to know if that implies that this will be his last season. Okay. Right now, 73% of our Twitter audience do not believe that he is implying that this will be here, his last here. season. I don't either. Here, here. 27% do think so. Yeah. Also have some comments. Uh, people agreeing with you, Greg. They think he's talking about eating his first strawberry. You think? Yeah, they do. Okay. All right. Good. All right. Good. Um, and you have the results from round number two of the most hated caller bracket challenge on this show. Yes, we do. The results okay. are in. Um, all right. So who has moved on to the final four? Okay. So uh, in Scott from Weymouth versus Mike from Florida, Scott from Weymouth has moved on. Obviously. Congratulations Obvi. to Scott. Yeah. In Can Man versus Jonathan, in what many are calling the upset of the year, can man has officially moved on. What? I, I think we also need we need percentages here because I, I, a... I want to show you how not close the Scott one was and how oh, close okay. Can Man was. <laughs> yeah, that's right. a very good point. Right? Well, what, what was the Scott one at? 97% pick Scott. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, and in the Can Man versus Jonathan, this was a close one. 54% yeah. picked Can Man. That was close. Okay. And so wow. Jonathan lost, but only by... Uh, well, he won, actually. Yeah, he I think won. if, you, if you're, not <laughs> yeah. Most, yeah. you're not the most hated caller and you don't move on, then you've won. Then yeah. we had Derek the Staler's fan versus high pitched Jeff. Jeff won with sixty five percent of the vote. Mm. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I believe that. Yep. Yeah, D's a good yeah. guy. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. D's yeah. a great guy. And lastly, we had Ron from Lynn versus Chuck the Yankee Turd. And Chuck took that one home with fifty eight percent of the what? vote. I'm shocked by that. Yes. I can't stand Ron from Lynn. I yes. feel like <laughs> that I was feel aggressive. Like the- <laughs> <laughs> really? 
I wow. feel like some people voted for Chuck just simply based on the fact that he's a Yankee the fan. Yankee exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know? Right. I, I feel like that really did skew yeah. it. Because he, that, I mean, he hasn't called a ton in the last couple of years. Yeah. But Ron's had a pretty heavy presence lately. All right. Um, also, can I get an update on next Tuesday's Blind Food Taste Test Challenge, which is about determining the single greatest house salad dressing here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. We take care of the important things on this show. Yeah. Hard hitting. So based on the simple Instagram the other night from Ken's Steakhouse, where yes. I dared to say that Ken's had the greatest dressing in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the state, and then Stiz lost his mind about the, the new bridge, mm-hmm. um, we are going to institute our next blind food taste test challenge on Tuesday. And you are contacting everybody? Yes, uh, how I have is, been contacting uh, all the restaurants. What's the response? Uh, the results are pretty good. The response uh, is pretty well. Okay. So I, I'm pretty sure we're, we're going to be... response is pretty well? Yeah. I knew what he meant. He <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. didn't uh, say I seen it. Uh, yeah. yeah. yeah we, we've contacted Wright's Chicken Farm, uh, the El Camino, yeah. Capitol Grill. Kitties. Did you get kitties? Kitties. In, kitties in North Rock. Yeah, Newbridge, right? Yeah, Newbridge. New Emac, Emac listens every uh, morning. So Newbridge New Bridge is good. And yeah. The, yeah okay. So, um, yeah. What about so the Ken's people? We're looking at the Ken's. cooperating? Now, some of these establishments may not be able to send a a representative in, yeah, that's but fine. will allow me to pick up the dressing the yeah. night before okay. to have it in here for Tuesday morning. Okay, and what okay. about, will they give you the secret recipe? No. Uh, they probably, asked, they, probably, they, they, probably, said, they won't they give the said, secret. It flies yeah. in the Good face luck. of it being secret. Yeah, yeah. We can have it <laughs> analyzed. Yes. <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> we can send it to the same lab that they sent the alleged non-fat frozen yogurt to in Seinfeld. Oh. <laughs> wow. Um, all right, and just... To clarify on the rules, because it's this morning radio show, the dressing will not be served to our guest judges on salad. Uh, it'll be, it'll be bread will be dipped into it. What, uh, in what kind of bread do you yeah, want me to bring? Have we figured that out yet? Mm, we need something neutral flavor. We need like really good fresh bread. Like, like, I pick got, up like, a couple baguettes. I love you, uh, but I don't trust no, you to bring ba- in bread. Baguettes hurt your. You uh, want Italian bread? Yeah, maybe Italian. Crusty, soft on the inside. Yes, yes, yeah. Italian bread, I think, you is the way. You can sop it up. What, like the scally bread? No, 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 no. like the a loaf. Like a, the, like uh, a spucky? Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. A spucky. Like, um, it's like, like what they make like a, a sandwich with. Yeah. yeah. What about I, Bertucci's rolls? Those are, pretty, nah. those are pretty good. I feel like they're going to be too doughy if they're not hot, fresh out of the oven. I'm going to have to have those, like, immediately right? now. Those, uh, are <laughs> those are delicious. Uh, Bertucci's rolls are pretty good. Are we going to have what? a grapefruit sorbet as a palate cleanser between... Um, oh, no, oh. we're going to have lasagna. Oh, smart. I like that. No, in honor, kid's uh, in honor of Bestie's last season, we're going to have avocado sorbet. Ugh. Oh, boy. Uh, you can have mine. Well, uh, now, 781 texter says it has to be pita bread. No. no. Why? No, 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 because that doesn't hold the dressing well. It has to be something that absorbs yeah. the right. dressing. Right, right. Yeah. That's it's got to be soft. That's the problem is it has to absorb uh, like a S-load of the dressing mm-hmm. into the bread. Yeah. What's it's, that great restaurant in Waltham with the uh, inch thick cut it's, it's, bread? Are you talking about the toasted ravioli people? Yeah. What's what? Um, Chateau? The Chateau? Yeah, the Chateau. Well, that's the, that's what she was... Ta- well, that's not really... That's no. the scally bread, I think. No, you don't want the scally bread. No, the Chateau is like the, the thick grandma's 
homemade baked bread mm-hmm. and they slice it an inch thick. Right, dense, yeah, a little dense on the inside. Chateau so. is also involved with their salad dressing. So. Well, what? Wait, I, I I didn't know they had the, really the chateau. Is yeah. it? Did they have a great house dressing there? Well, really? That's what well, our listeners. Well, that, that's suggested. what the listeners suggested. Yeah. Okay, all right. Hmm. I'm down. I'm the more dressing, the merrier. That's how I feel about dressing. Why don't we just do shots? I was shot. actually <laughs> little salad dressing shooters. Not uh, a bad yeah, idea. Was, <laughs> not a bad well, idea. Well, we could get those little um, uh, plastic cups that they use, like for the uh, Dime Tap when you're yes. when you're when you're when you're, when you're a kid. <laughs> And you just give me like, uh, three milliliters <laughs> of the chateau's finest. Oh God, shoot! Can you imagine our heartburn? <laughs> Here's actually another question that I, I need to get clarification on, Hillman. A couple of the restaurants that I've reached out to said we have many salad dressings. Is there a particular one? It's the house. It's the, the house, house. and that's yeah. what I it's said. But just wanted to make sure. It yeah. has to be the house. Okay. I wonder if uh, Town Spa Pizza would be able to provide us with just dipping crusts. Oh, crust. Oh, my Lord. You love this me is right why, now, don't you? This is why someone <laughs> needs to marry you up. I mean... I, Guy, he's right here. Let me, I, don't, I, oh, don't, those stands right face. there. This is, um, that's a great idea. Right? So you could... <laughs> just crust. Just, just the pizza crust from Town Spa <laughs> right. and then dip that into... Oh, into geez. Geez. I mean, we could we could just assemble it. I mean, I, that why would be... Why don't we a, just right? wear togas and have an orgy? While okay. That's a, I mean... That's a, that's a job for Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, uh, we could have Mark get... He can get 15 Town Spa cheese pizzas and cut all the crusts off. Yeah, because you do need you need the cheese. You know, you need like the burnt edge kind of situation happening. By the way, Mark is going to Brett hole me from the uh, from the call screener. Mark's studio a hero. A he, he Brett hold Scott from Weymouth. Yes, he did. Yeah. He Brett hold Scott from Weymouth. He, he did, absolutely yes. did. Yeah, Jonathan, what's up? Good morning, morning crew. What's what up, up, Jonathan? What's up? Oh, not much. I just wanted to know, in, in your personal bracket, Greg, am I your most hated caller? You never let me on the air anymore. Well, the reason I don't let you on the air is because you call about the same thing over and over again, which isn't fun and, and, and isn't uh, it's not interesting well, that's to not, anybody. That's not true at all, though. I called you the other day. We were talking about the Mueller report. That was fresh news. We had never heard him speak before. No, but you were, I called you, were, you to say a comment. You were on hold earlier. Uh, to to say your what you wanted to talk about was uh, was was I ever going to what was your question was I ever going to what with Is regard there to the pre- anything that the president could do that could make you lose faith in him because I, I, me what did I, I lost faith in Obama as soon as he started bombing little kids what did I what did, a war criminal what what did he I lost say all support from me but what you, did no, I you, what. What did I say? Well, that, er, what did I say earlier? He said that he is a, a, a what is it? A successful businessman, no, no. and it's a lie. It's all I come said, out that he freaking lost more money than any other American for ten years. He he bankrupt. A, what is it? Two casinos. Like how could you keep saying that he's a legitimate businessman? But he's I not. said I said earlier the guy should not be going to golf at his own golf course. Did you not hear me? Oh please, but that's that's peanuts, man. Can you I don't can really I, criticize him? I mean, I just can I ask a favor? Can I Mexico can, are worse than him golfing, dude? Question, question, levels to things. What's up, Greg? What's question, up, kid. Question, kid. If you're a if you're a multi billionaire, is that just by luck? Uh, if my father gave me a, a two hundred and some odd million dollars, I could be uh, a good businessman too, dude. He started off with a silver spoon in his mouth and millions and millions of dollars, dude. Now listen, if you fa- do that too, if your father boy, gave if your boy. father gave you two hundred million. And you were a billionaire. Would you still call the show every day? Of course, correct. All right, Thanks. all right, Jonathan. All right, <laughs> love we'll, you guys. All right, we love you too. Greg, you need to go uh, fight Trump once and for all, and, just, <laughs> and then Jonathan will be. Um, all right, hold on a second. 
Somebody with a bread suggestion, yes? Good morning, morning show. What's up? Hey, um, because I grew up around the corner, you got to get the bread from Santarpio's. Santarpio's is heavy. Santarpio's Danielle's favorite place. Way too heavy. You, you know what occurred to me, but, which would probably be really good, is the uh, the. Hawaii. Was it after you hung up the phone <laughs> that it occurred to you that he'd grown up just like you? Okay, what? <laughs> no, what? the Hawaiian rolls. The what? Nah, the, the, now he's gonna throw Get the flavor. Out of here. Yeah. Get out of here. You know what would be good that's similar to Bertucci's rolls, but I feel like a little bit more neutral. Um, legal has great rolls. They do. They're crunchy. Legal does they're, have they're good They're crunchy rolls. and soft. Yeah. They, they won't hurt the top rolls. of your mouth, Mr. Sensitive. I and think, they're, they're a very <laughs> neutral flavor, and they're not too heavy, so we could eat a bunch of them. I think I think Shu nailed it, though, with the, the big loaf of Italian bread. Mm-hmm. Because you have the crunch, but mm-hmm. then on the inside you have plenty of soak soak area. Yes. You need you need full <laughs> soak we we need full dressing mm-hmm. soak area. Full absorption. <laughs> full, full, full we need Like the, if they had the bread at Chernobyl they could have sopped right. up all that water with it. Yeah. I mean, what about dipping chicken in a biscuit in, in the dressing? Oh, that would mm, that would affect too the flavor. flavor. Yeah, yeah, too much would, flavor. Not to mention between the MSG and the sodium. Like yeah. we're, we're just going to be we're going to be swollen for five days after this thing. We're going to have to take some dandelion root or something. Yeah. Now we're doing um, we're doing listener judges as always, right? With the food taste yeah, test, the blind food taste test. Sure. Okay, all right. So we need volunteers if you want to call or text or whatever. Over, it will, you know, we'll pick the, the the judges tomorrow. Okay, on tomorrow's show. Um, and then there's also a bidding war going on right now for the for the tickets Ooh. for the Bruins tickets. As a that, wise man once said, Greg. It's a dog fight. Oh, it is? Oh, it's a dog fight. All right. Well, we have a pair of Bruins tickets for tonight. You know, the Bruins are in a dog fight. The Bruins are in a dog fight. Oh, really? Um, and hmm. uh, we got both of these guys that are bidding, and I'm going to get them both on to end the show here. We got James and we got Chris. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. How's it going? What's up? What's up? Um, so who has the last bid? I guess, Chris, Chris, you have the last bid at 2200 Correct. James, you want to top that? James? 2,300. 23? 2,500. Chris, Chris went 2,500. 2,600. Uh, oh, James went 26. Chris? <laughs> uh, 27. Come on, Chris. 27. I, I know you don't have permission. You got to get permission from the wife, though. Not no, much? no permission needed. No. What are, you, what are you going, Chris? I'm sorry. Uh, I said 28. 28. Twenty nine hundred, no permission needed. Wow, <laughs> what a hard off! I love James. that guy. <laughs> Damn, Chris, you 3, in? Huh? Oh, I love oh, 3, it. Oh, three thousand. All right, three th- three thousand for the tickets for tonight for the Greg Hill. Three thousand and ten. No, oh, no, no, it's gonna be hundred dollar. No, 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 ten dollar increments. No price no, is right. Moves. No, no. Thirty one. Do I have thirty one? Thirty one. Thirty one. Thirty one. What do you got? Thirty one hundred. Thirty one. I can't. Okay. Chris, oh, thank you. Nice, nice donate, effort, though, Chris man. donates all the freaking time. Yes, he does. He's and very, I thank very good. Thank you for that. Chris. James, you got the tickets for tonight, all right? Thank you very much. All right. So $3,000 for the Greg Hill Foundation. We will see you there tonight. James, join me for the uh, traditional vodka chug between the second and third period. Excellent. All right. Hang on. Wow. All right. That was I'm, amazing. That's I'm dis- awesome. Disappointed that you didn't use your uh, or use your regular auction strategy, Greg. Where in right. the middle you have to do this. Shh, guys, 
Guys, I, I, you just get, if we could just be just give me two minutes. Give well, me two minutes. Just if you could just be quiet. We, we normally go where uh, we say all in and uh, all in. You know, going once, going twice, mm-hmm. all in. We're gonna sell it at thirty one hundred. Sold. <laughs> Sold. You know who'd make it? Joe Castiglione would make a great auctioneer. <laughs> all right, and the bid is at thirty one hundred. That's thirty two hundred to you. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you don't have to ask your wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. I have to check with Mrs. Castiglione if I want to buy a sandwich. These guys are throwing three grand out there. Uh, this is Jamie. What's up, Jamie? It's Jamie. How you Jamie. Doing? Jamie. It's Mark and his spelling. Mark doesn't know how to spell. But what's up, Jamie? What's up? Uh, two two recommendations for the uh, the salad dressing uh, competition you have. It. Yeah. Uh, one of them Danielle might know of. It's the uh, Harris Pelham Inn in Pelham, New Hampshire. Oh, no. No, I never heard of Interesting. it. Interesting. Oh, my God. Their, their dressing is incredible. And uh, and there's another one. It's uh, DeBurrows in Haverhill. DeBurrows? DeBurrows. D-I-B-U-R-R-O-S. All right. We'll reach out. Happy to reach out. Who? Where was the very first dressing ever made? It wasn't the Hidden Valley Ranch, I don't think. That's where they created ranch. You see that picture on Barstool, the lady who brings her own ranch to the restaurant yes, in, her, in, in her back pocket? Oh, that's, that's beautiful. That's, that's, in a flask, I uh, hope. That is a professional. I'm surprised but, you don't have a flask with some kind of sauce in it. <laughs> well, is oil and vinegar a dressing? Yes. Yeah. So that's got to be the first, right? Yes. Uh, Probably been around since like... 1380. Since, yeah, since olive oil. The Babylonians first used oil and vinegar for dressing greens nearly 2,000 years ago. Wow. Really? Egyptians started doing salads dressed with oil, vinegar, and Asian spices. Huh. Uh, and then I'm trying to find the first commercially made dressing right now. Huh. Stiz, uh, why don't you hit up the Babylonians? So <laughs> yes. bring in some, uh, yes. Are they in the gardens of Babylon? Can I get mm. a little credit there? I just nailed that. You did. That was pretty good, Albie. Absolutely. That was pretty good. Absolutely. I think it was Eve who was served <laughs> served some greens by Adam, and she said, "Hey, uh, how about a little dressing uh, on this?" And then Adam made his own dressing, if you know what I'm saying. Mm. Uh, all right. I'm just glad the salad cream didn't make it into this. Uh, <laughs> the oh yeah, contest. the churchgoers are not happy right now. Oh, wait a sec- wait a second. Maybe we should no, have no. It's gonna no. Have... I'm no. I'm just gonna stop you right now. We should have salad cream. Salad cream is an abomination. <laughs> if we can get that, should not be even in the can, same room. <laughs> if we can get Scott in here as a judge, then you can put salad cream in the bread. You know what? I got another crack on my uh, bumper on Barbara. If you could bring the salad cream in, I could bondo <laughs> that thing up. <laughs> All right. Um, well, that's happening Tuesday. Is that correct? Tuesday, yes. All right, Tuesday. Thanks for your work today, Stanley Stiz Grimey. Thank you, Hill Dog. And the rest of the team. If you missed anything this Thanks. morning, you're welcome, LB. Thanks for showing up, big guy. No, we got one more day. No, we're working tomorrow there, LB. One more day. I mean, I don't know uh, what plan you're on this week. But. Uh, we are, we're, we're working tomorrow. Uh, it may be a tad bit late uh, due to the uh, game this evening, but... Um, I certainly oh, will arrive uh, close to the start of the show. Uh-huh. Uh, Define close. Okay. What's your definition of? I mean, because if we're talking, you know, the space between your tiny fingers, uh, index and thumb, would be close. It Anybody depends, else? It could honestly, be. it depends on what time the game gets underway. Right. I mean, if they could start the thing close to eight, right. then I could be I could be out of there by eleven, eleven fifteen or something. Like I, that. I, I, mean, I could put a montage of uh, uh, bees highlights together for about four and a oh, half minutes. Is, to uh, give uh, you some time. My guess, you do that? Uh, my guess is tomorrow that you're going to play a cut from Saturday night's game first, <laughs> and then <laughs> so some, some 
And then I some about audio. I thought from the wind. I did. And then, did. And then you're gonna play. Oh, then you're gonna play the a radio cut from St. Louis and identify it as the NHL Network. Yes. Uh, and that's the way. That, that wasn't is, my fault. That's, that's I the actually way. says it right is. in the description. That, that is my unit. You watched it, Greg. You knew what you know what happened. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. No, but you go back there. You know, they're grabbing all the sound for the show for you two, mm-hmm. and I, I throw out, I need this, and I need that, and I need this, and then mm-hmm. let me know who it is. And well, no that's what they do. Yeah. The, the uh, difference is we double check it after the fact. I just got to. Um, Why would I have to do that? You're supposed to, to check your work. History. I mean, have you ever been on a job site? You check your work. You check. You measure. Uh, you check twice. Oh, measure once. Yeah. I it's mean, like, no. Measure. Like saying, measure twice. Cut once. Right. It's like uh, saying yeah, a no. carpenter's never uh, missed a nail and hey. hit his thumb and knocked his hey. uh, nail off. Look what happened at Chernobyl. Right. Exactly. Or maybe didn't happen, as we learned. Uh, here's a text <laughs> suggesting that the brown bread at Cheesecake Factory yeah. is uh, no. Is, too much flavor. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. That is my preferred bread, and they do sell it wow. in the supermarket now. I oh, do they, agree it's oh, excellent, wow. but that is not a dressing-appropriate bread. It's t- it's it's like the Hawaiian rolls. They're too, it's too sweet. Really? Yeah, I can't do it. You could, you could do their French baguette because it's not super crusty, and it's it has a neutral flavor. The brown bread has too much flavor. Very aggressive stance yeah. toward, I'm just toward telling the you. Cheesecake you know, Factory. I, the, brown bre- the Cheesecake hey. Factory brown bread is like my in my top three restaurant bread situations. <laughs> Eat a so. baguette. Well, I've got a thought. <laughs> oh, if you want yes. to bring the cheesecake bread in, uh, grab a couple of cheesecakes and right. then uh, bring <laughs> the you. bread in. Yeah, I'll just dip a mango key lime <laughs> cheesecake into the Newbridge <laughs> salad dressing. That sounds amazing. Whatever. It's all going to the same place. Uh, all right. Our next, our next blind food taste test challenge happening on Tuesday we will, for once and for all, determine where one can find the very best house salad dressing in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. There's only one show that that that, that accomplishes these kinds of things for a reason. Uh, for, and just look look at us, and you'll understand why. Um, if you missed anything, they, you can hear it as a part of the full show podcast, which you can download at waaf.com any time of the day or night. Uh, also on the radio.com app. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 6. Go Bees! Go Bees! Yeah. I can't wait. I cannot wait. We'll see you there tonight. Go Bees! And up next, it's a WAAF Workday Blitz. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.